Greetings podcast fans and fans of Batman and DC Comics to episode 45 of I Am The Night which covers episode 50 of the legendary Batman the Animated Series and this one's called Off Balance written by Lynn Wayne and Kevin Eltieri and I, I'm Steve J. Ray and I'm joined as always by the mighty and magnificent Adam. Oh it's good to be back talking more Batman with... The emotional weight of the previous episode is still fresh, at least with mm. me. We can go back to some classic swashbuckling pulp as a classic Batman villain rears their head, and then a classic Batman villain rears their head. I was not prepared to see these characters quite so early, but it was a pleasant surprise and a great story, nevertheless. See, things are, I, I've got only got hazy recollections of this one, and I remember it as as soon as we got the title. So, oh yeah, this is the Count Vertigo episode. Mm. I forgot completely about the other two. Appearances, yeah, considerably more important appearances in the long run Bonkers. of things, but still. But I did suspect hmm. from the very second. Well, let's let's set the scene. Sure. The scene opens on the, the statue of Lady Gotham, aka in the real world, the Statue of Liberty. Oh, we did want to ask about that. So that, <laughs> that wasn't just an analogy saying that Gotham's just a particularly big borough of New York, like it is in our world. No, mm. that's a whole other statue somewhere further up the coastline. Yes, ish. Well. <laughs> we all never know. Um, we all know that, yes, um, New York um, and Chicago and uh, lots of other places are the basis for Gotham. But let's not forget that the original 1940s, uh, 1939 onwards series of, of Batman first introduced the characters being in New York. And New York suburbs had a nickname of Gotham, right. which then became the fictional city of Gotham City. But it's, it's New York. We know it's New York. And this proves it. Yeah. But yes, they're, they're atop the, the statue, and uh, Batman's tricked the slimy hoodlum into meeting him there to talk under the pretense of it. Yeah. yeah, and talk about some sort of sinister organisation. And what was the name of the organisation? The Society of Shadows. We should have known yeah. straight away, yeah. and I guessed it ish. Yeah, yeah, I figured it would be them, but I was like, mm, they're not called. They're not called the League of Shadows in the comics. That's a Christopher Nolanism. So if they were going to bring in that name, then they would probably bring in their name. But then again, that also might be too dark for kids' TV. But I don't know. Well spotted. The League of Shadows was the Christopher Nolanism. But because comics writers, in particular people like James Tyne and the Fourth and Scott Snyder, are so clever, they actually introduced the League of Shadows. And they are like the cream of the crop the elite of the league of assassins and oh. they operate from the shadows they're the ones who pull all the strings from behind the scenes that nobody knows about okay that's interesting so um this is clearly another well we know that this show inspired christopher nolan this yeah. show has inspired virtually everyone who's made a batman movie after yeah. tim burton and joel schumacher so um oh, yeah great i mean really good your thoughts? To be perfectly honest, I thought it was them, but I was willing to dismiss it until I got further proof because, as we, as yeah. we, got, because, because it was just yeah. such a pleasant surprise to go on afterwards because I had more thoughts, but I'll, that'll be getting ahead of ourselves. If we're going to talk about the plot of the episode. Absolutely, well, well said, mate. But this is a, a one of those moments where again I've got to eat a little bit of humble pie. Oh, really? Because you know I love the Arrowverse shows, but I always maintain that. Arrow itself was Batman light and it stole so many Batman stories and Batman villains and Batman characters. Count Vertigo mm. is actually a Green Arrow villain. Oh, really? Well, don't worry. You've never actually said any of those things against the Arrow shows in print, to my knowledge. No, I didn't. So you don't have. You only have to apologise to me. And you <laughs> talk about the subject so much that I'm willing to forgive you most things. Um, 
Yeah, that's perfectly fine. If he was an arrow villain, that's good. He could do with his own other than Vertigo and maybe King Cobra, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it's nice to see him translated here so well. Absolutely, and very, very well. You're quite right. But the other thing is, of course, that Rashad Gull was always known for um, having other villains do his dirty work. I remember when we first meet him, and they'll adapt that beautifully in a few episodes' time. In the comic version, he's actually using a smokescreen of Damien Dark uh, as um, his uh, hiding his actual purpose. So having Count Vertigo in this was a nice little pulling the wall over our eyes until the moment, of course, where he's fighting Batman and who should appear on the scene with a poison dart. To be perfectly honest, uh, this is the part I want to talk about. I didn't twig that it was Talia at, uh, at all. Oh, really? I thought the purple colour scheme and what I thought was a crossbow bolt might have been Huntress. Huntress. Oh, good call. Very good call. I honestly, truly thought it was Huntress. As soon as I heard a dodgy accent, I was like, hmm, who is this? Tell you. Oh, so it is the League stuff. And I was pleasantly surprised, yes. as I said just a few minutes ago. Oh, that's I, wonderful. I did not... I honestly wanted to suspend my disbelief and let the episode tell the story it wanted to. I didn't want to jump to any conclusions at all. I did not see that connection at all. I chose not to. But that's better. I know. Because, again, oh, that makes me feel great because you were just drawn in by the story. I was drawn in by the story and I was given a pleasant surprise. I didn't... I thought the leak connection was too obvious Mm -hmm. and I... Until you mentioned this whole League of Shadows being the elites among the League of Assassins, I didn't know that that connection was real. So I was willing to go along with, oh, maybe it's maybe it's Huntress, maybe it's some other character that I've never heard of. I was surprised, not like put out by it, but still surprised to see that it was. So it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's a pleasant surprise, but it was still a surprise. That's what not what I was expecting at all. Right, but again, it's a testament to the writing and direction of this show that it Mm. can do that. And again, Len Wayne, we've spoke about it at length. This man is a comics writing legend, if not. For anything else, just for creating something, I've got to give him those kudos. But yeah, from the beginning, well, again, you, you say it to me whenever we record an episode, as soon as I see who's written and directed it, I, I will maintain, oh, this is going to be a good one. And what uh, do no. you say to uh, me? <laughs> honestly, I think they all have been. Have there not been good ones? Yes. Yes. There you go. That's what you say to me. Yeah. But yeah, with these two, I knew it was going to be a very, very, very good one. And so many moments. Um, Count Vertigo, Talia. We'll we'll come to her um, horrible father at the end because mm. I wasn't prepared for that so soon. No, me neither. Honestly, me neither. Because then again, I wasn't expecting Talia either or this league contingency. I. It should have been really obvious, but I was very willing to sort of look over it, and I'm very proud of myself that I did. I was able to see this other way of telling the story because I had no. I'm pretty sure that Huntress doesn't appear in this series. I'm fairly sure she doesn't. Again, remember, we've never seen the third season in this country. And I know that Nightwing and Tim Drake appear in that series, so maybe she'll appear there. But yes, fans, in the UK, we didn't get the new Avengers, the third season. So um, we're going to watch that with completely fresh new eyes, me included. Yeah, that'll be a decent time from now, but you will get both of us as excitable fans, which will be a very interesting thing for you to listen to. can't wait for that. Really looking forward to it. But what we should have expected, and of course we got it, was some brilliant moments, even though they didn't play huge parts in the story, some vintage moments from both Commissioner Gordon and Alfred. Yep, we see Commissioner Gordon at his finest. Um... 
uh, the, the people sort of in and around the discourse of this show and the internet like to make fun that he's a senior police officer who's very constantly startled by Batman. But I'm glad that even though it was a very like small fleeting appearance, we still got to see him at the top of his game. Oh yeah, in that shooting range yes. with perfect marksmanship. Yeah. So people can say what they want but that's not actually the truth and I'm really glad that they've had that sort of very grounded in the end of the beginning I would say of the show mm. so yeah that's a really nice little character moment for the commissioner there well because you like me see Gordon as a badass this yeah. isn't an old guy no, this no, no, no. this guy is because again we're of the well you because I've forced you to I'm so sorry we're of the Batman year one era where Gordon's the guy who can take out a Green Beret Yes. Um, even giving the Green Beret a, a baseball bat and him being just his, his bare fists. So, yep. well, in later years, Jim Gordon was temporarily Batman. So we know that this guy is awesome. Awesome and for real and physically capable. And it's great to see that sometimes. And as the perception sort of goes that he might not be, it's really important that we see that he still, still can be. Oh, yes. And then on the opposite side of the coin... We see that Alfred Pennyworth is also badass and awesome, but in a completely opposite way. Yes, because he's the only one who can sort of verbally put Batman in his place, saying, maybe you should take a break, Master Bruce. Pretty soon you won't know your left from your right. Alfred, you're a genius. Oh, yes, I know. (laughs) The witty repartee of him staying consistent to his character, it's... So good. Uh, it's like Alfred thinks, well, am I? But yeah, okay, I'll go with that. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the compliment. Yeah, because he knows, he knew that the you should take a rest would fall on deaf ears anyway. And he was sort of all right with that. So yeah, it's great to see him just at his, at his best. Fantastic. Loved it. So what we get is a, a pretty interesting little thriller. And with those amazing guest spots that neither of us were truly expecting but what we have to say is that did you or did you not again feel an instant connection and it's so brilliant considering it's animated it's not two actors on screen with chemistry but do you not feel that instant chemistry between Talia and Batman they were able to stage it well as though it were actors yeah. they were able to get the expressions and the longing looks and the instant moment of Batman's vulnerability with him without his mask mm-hmm. and him wounded yeah. and her tending to him without any sort of forward knowledge of yeah. uh, anything untoward, anything dodgy. There, there was the immediate trust there and that trust was rewarded as they were crossing the pit-filled laboratory with the traps and the hazards. Mm-hmm. And then the surprise from her when he explains how he was able to get through it all was just her earning his him earning her respect so we get multiple layers of them starting to feel the real senses towards each other which is why towards the end I think he's actually genuinely disappointed yeah you can feel it in his voice and again it's a beautiful little piece of very nuanced little little touch there but it still feels sincere but again that whole thing he did know he didn't want to believe it but he knew because again I thought the same thing I thought hang on she knows where she is too well to have been just captured and, and drawn into the trap. She knew the layout of that place and he spotted it as well. Yeah, it was, oh, it's going to be this way. Oh, it's going to be this this way. She's going to lead down this way. Oh, which that means she, ob- yeah. Yeah. she obviously knew where she was going, what she was doing. And she knew to expect traps in that room. So, yeah, it was somewhat tipping her hand, but 
I don't think Batman would have let his guard down that fully to someone he just met, even if there was a spot. Well, hence the way he had the the thing that could sabotage the sound earthquake-inducing gun thing yeah. from Wayne Tech. Well, I would imagine he would know how to sabotage Wayne Tech quite effectively. Yes. And he did his utmost to try and like take it back because... Mm-hmm. He still has to think about it from the Wayne Tech exercise because that is one of their most groundbreaking inventions to date. And it can't have been cheap. Oh, come on, please. <laughs> it can't have been cheap. Oh, very proud of that pun. You missed it. Oh, sorry. The most groundbreaking invention to date. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, you're quite right. Oh, disappointing. Well, at least um, on their first date, the Earth quite literally moved for Bruce and Talia. Well, not literally, because they didn't do anything like that, but that's that's not here or there. <laughs> there is no little Damien waiting. Anyway. And you ignored my one. Yeah. <laughs> so we're fair. It's fair. Bam- I did that on purpose. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I'm sorry, Sam. It's fine. But I love what you mentioned, that the mutual respect and the longing looks. Mm. And did you not feel that she was every bit as equal in this episode. Exactly is the point. As that's sort of the foundation of their uh, their relationship. Really, mm-hmm. is that he re- he's always recognised in her that she's very capable as a product of her upbringing, and he's his internal sort of ethos of trying to redeem people, of trying to be that saviour. Mm-hmm. He's never been sort of happy with her living that sort of yeah. life. Absolutely. So he. The respect he has for her as a combatant and as a logical thinker, he would want her to rise up and sort of live a better life, sort of like maybe it's a Lady Shiva sort of figure, or at the very least doing what he does. Mm. So him seeing her as a zealot of her father's ideals is sort of like disappointing. Mm-hmm. And that's what as their a relationship sort of evolved into. Seeing all of those skills up front and then the double cross was the start of that, I would mm. say. And it's, it's, it's tragic in a way because we feel the same way he does. Because hmm. I honestly do feel that Talia... I mean, she does perceive herself in later years, especially in the comics. She does actually go against the father on purpose as she falls more and more for Batman and, yeah. and realises what a great character he is. But then in later years, still, she does a complete 180, particularly after Damien, her own son, well, and his, takes his, his father's side. side. Yeah. yeah. So this is like the beginning. This is the ground floor. This is the first step. And it was truly brilliantly handled, I thought. I would say so. It's handled by people who very obviously know where the relationship will go. And they have a lot of good backing for it. Mm. They put the immediate obvious chemistry there. They They put it there in the form of the way they acted around each other, the interests of it, and the pangs of disappointment between each of their actions, but also the respect of knowing that they are both very good at what they do. So they can't really hate each other, but they also are... They're curious about each other, but they're keeping their cool, wary distance because they don't know what side each other is on. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And I like the little um, storytelling beats where everything's sort of like foreshadowed, like when she and Batman are fighting the uh, members of the Society of Shadows... And one of them slices through his utility belt and then they conveniently fall through the ground into the trap. She unmasks him and he goes for his belt and it's not there, but she has got lockpicks. It's all there and he knows it. And Mm. it's just really, really well done. All there, yeah, because at no point did he really trust. Mm. He was very curious and interested and he was 
sizing her up as a, in a skill set the whole way through without ever being open about it. But he also knew that when it came to the, the laboratory with the traps, it was his moral duty as a heroic figure to try and lead her through. Yeah. But also he was counting on what she knew. Mm-hmm. So getting her through was the useful thing to him, but it ended up leading to some great pl- moments of emotional standing where they were playing off of each other and you could see the romance starting that would, would, that would become their sort of start you but felt that as well then it was very clear yeah. it was really really clear really really well done wasn't it yeah I mean because you could just feel it there was a connection and it's really really weird and impressive to see that in an animated show you do feel that even though he doesn't trust her she doesn't fully trust him there's a mutual respect there that you just know is a first step towards a, a, a completely different relationship yeah there's still a lot to do and his suspicions were sadly proven correct, which is why he was so quick to be able to sabotage the device. Yeah. But he was still disappointed. Yeah. And he has that kind of hope for most figures that he would want them to go on to do a better way of living and live better versions of themselves. So when that eventually did happen, he was still disappointed, but still had the forethought to think logically and deny her what she wanted for Absolutely. worse ends. Absolutely. Yeah, because he can allow himself to sort of possibly think about something more or wider or bigger, but still has to think with the direct thoughts that Batman would otherwise have. Mm-hmm. And, well, we say it week after week, those nuances, those thoughts, those emotions that are running through the character's head so brilliantly put down in Kevin Conroy's performance yeah. in this episode. The subtle nuances of him uh, coming to realizations about the case, or just how he acts around trying to reassure her, mm. but then still the real f- palpable disappointment when she does double cross him is just master of the voice acting craft, really. Yeah. And let's talk about the voice acting craft uh, again. This show, what the actual hell? Um, let's start with Vertigo, played by Michael York. A legend. Um, I first knew him as Logan from the original Logan's Run movie, but a countless veteran of the movies from the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. You, my dear friend, will know him best as Basil Exposition from the Austin Powers movies. Wait, really? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can tell that the um, off Eastern European-ish uncertain accent wasn't for real, so it was Mm -hmm. nice to see someone so uh, tenured in a position like that. But then again, they really have the the ability to cast some very seasoned actors in this show. So I'm really glad they were able to pull that stops for him there. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going to make another appearance as a completely different character in a few episodes down the line, but we'll talk about that when that episode comes up. Secondly, we have to mention Talia. And this I didn't know, and it's blown me away, um, was played by Helen Slater, who... To comics fans, they'll immediately know her as the original movie Supergirl. And of course, the adopted mother of the current Supergirl, um, Melissa Benoit, in um, the Supergirl TV show. Oh, okay. So, again, a comic book legend. Yeah, definitely so. It's a nice departure from Supergirl or Supergirl adjacent, which is nice for her. But uh, I suppose being sinister and putting on a, again, equally dodgy accent would let you sort of breathe and relax as an actor so you yeah, can get a, get a bit of range but even in the superhero genre because I didn't recognise her at all she did not sound like Helen Slater 
She sounded like a Middle Eastern, some kind of European, unknown-ish, yeah, unnondescript accent. Which is, I think, the important point is that there shouldn't really be clear as to where Van der Poppa or all of those guys work. They're just sort of amorphous and unclear. Of course. And then obviously Daddy Dearest, Mm. um, the demon's head himself, we all know, and we've known for years, it's played impeccably, beautifully, masterfully, and inspired casting by the legend that is David Warner. And of course, nerds most known from the two Star Trek movies, where he plays Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek VI, and he plays a, a random um, Federation diplomat in Star Trek V. So two completely different characters in two subsequent movies, and he's unrecognisable. But um, yeah, Legend of Station, stage and screen, and who's a better Russell Gould than him? Uh, no, honestly, so so clear. Just the voice and the yeah. condescension, and the yes. you can feel that there's self righteousness. Centu- you can also feel like there's centuries of intelligence there, yes. which is exactly what you'd get from the character. Absolutely. Obviously, we didn't get enough of Liam Neeson for the get, but for the gravitas. But there was some of that there. But oh, yeah. still, but still, this performance is just so striking especially with like the very striking mm. visual so we're going to get more of that eventually which is very exciting a few episodes down the line and I can't wait because it's so faithfully adapted from the Denny O'Neill Neil Adams comics that you're going to watch it and you're going to wow because again I've inflicted those comics on you no it'll be, I'll just be doing the re, the meme reaction of Leo DiCaprio I'll just be like oh I know this one Please <laughs> point this oh I know this <laughs> Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Right, that's um, Off Balance, as always, our weekly breakdown of the moments that stood out good, bad or ugly of this episode for you. I sort of touched on the biggest moment for me quite early on in the episode, so I'm just going to bring it back by saying that I am pleasantly surprised by the direction that the episode took. I Mm. decided not to play into the obvious and want to see other outcomes to be surprised, and I was... Fully invested in it being uh, Vertigo having his very large cadre and the Huntress making an appearance on the scene despite not me hearing about it. But I'm glad to have been surprised and to have been proven wrong and to show the breadth of characters that Batman stories could be told around. Yeah. Who knew that a 20-minute Saturday morning cartoon could surprise two grown men who are both writers? And especially one who has seen this episode before. I mean, you can be more than forgiven experiencing this episode for the first time, but again, because we just don't expect these characters to be introduced in an episode which we know features an already very famous villain. It's just a pleasant surprise, and this shows the faith they have in the show that they're making and their knowledge and mastery of the characters they're talking yeah. about. They can, they know that they can bring in characters like this, so they figure that they could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moments for me, we already said that brilliant relationship between Batman and Talia. But again, I have to go back to the vintage classic Batman moments with the joviality in the cave with Alfred and the lovely scenes with Gordon at the shooting range. Both Batman's entrance and exit to that scene. Obviously, the exit we know because he does it every single time. And Gordon even says, one day I'm going to have to nail his feet to the floor. But I loved the entrance. Gordon's doing target practice. He knows Batman's in there. And Batman literally steps out of the shadows from in front of one of the targets. And I thought it was a beautiful moment. Yep, because it's just an unclear silhouette that suddenly sort of come to life out of 
Batman's strange, mystical, mm. dark energy, if you can choose to believe that he has that. And it makes a lot of sense that he was one of the from there. And yeah. it's a really striking moment, but it's one of the few times uh, Jim's not sort of like... <gasps> Yeah. Or like gasping or freaking out because that's a very obvious place to sort of, to sort of emerge from. And do you not think that it's, it's a great metaphor as well for Batman's actual role? I mean, is he not, for the villains of Gotham City, that target? Yeah, he sort of draws their ire and draws their rage so that he, they become more destructive. But then again, an angry person is much more easy to take down if you know what you're doing, which yeah. he does. Well said. Well, that's it. Again, pff. No complaints from me. How could you? How could anyone? <laughs> no complaints from me. That was another solid... Do you not think they're going faster, though? The pacing's got... There was a few episodes at the beginning of the run which were a bit slower and a bit more atmospheric. And these recently have been like, boom, 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 brilliant. I feel like they now that they know their formula, they can go into like faster-paced ones, but I don't know if you can call the previous episode faster pace. No, this is true. They they pace and tell the story they need they to, tell to tell exactly as they have to. So mm. it's no bother at all. They know what they're doing. I have Absolutely. a lot of faith in this creative team. Absolutely. Well, dear listeners, that's episode 45 of I Am The Night, and it was a cracker. And it was the legendary 50th episode. The half-century mark has been reached in Batman the Animated Series. So Corker loved it, and we will return. But in the meantime, you know the score. This has been the I Am The Night podcast. I Am The Night. Adam Ray, together we are the night. And you can find this show, as with all the others, on the DC Comics News Podcast Network on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. You can find DC Comics News and Dark Knight News all over the internet. Adam, where can people find you? Uh, on the internet, speaking about Batman, you can find me reviewing multiple titles a month on Dark Knight News. The current run of Ravi's Catwoman is absolutely excellent. Yes, it is. Uh, you can follow my writing about my one true love PC and tabletop gaming on our baby, fantasticuniverses.com and writing specifically about Dungeons & Dragons on Apotheosis Studios' blog. Many flavours of dragons as well as places where you can take your adventures to Game Masters. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer and for visual media, following most of my Dungeons & Dragons plays, you can find some replays on No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube and you can find me badly playing PC games with my dear university friends at The <laughs> Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube. All worth checking out. And you, sir? As for me, yes, on this show every single week with my boy and on the main DC Comics News podcast show as well every now and then on the Harley Quinn Mad Love podcast too but with that series uh, coming to an end very very soon there is talk of doing a Stargirl show as well but we'll see what the mighty Joshua Reds from Chief says and what other things are lovely colleagues on the show say you can find all those uh, podcasts where i mentioned as for my writing again dc comics news dark knight news and our own website fantastic universes to find them just type in steve j ray or fantastic universes in the search engine of choice and again on twitter talk to us follow the show rate review subscribe and i'm on twitter at l steveo el underscore s-t-e-e-v-o so that's it until next time but um, there's something most people really need to think about and do, really. Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now. Bye.